With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now, back to Whiteley. The group stage is over at the World Cup. India went through unbeaten. Australia will play South Africa, so that inspires memories of semifinals past. The week will be spent debating the lineup and building up Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then the final on Sunday night. Every ball you will hear on SEN Crickets. And we're remembering Patrick Smith, long-time columnist for the Australian, in amongst his media career. Used to hold the nine o'clock slot on this station with Kevin Bartlett and a lot of you remembering him fondly. One who will know him well, shares his wisdom and experience with us each Monday, Robert Craddock. Hello to you, Crash. G'day, Jared. Yeah, a very sad day. Uh, there was only one Patrick Smith, wasn't he? Uh, you know, he was brilliant, witty. He could slice you and dice you in one paragraph. A very brilliant man. What were your dealings with him through the years, Crash? I always admired him, and we didn't. Uh, we used to cross over of all places the Melbourne Cup. But I, I remember talking to Lee Matthews once, and I thought it was a terrific rapper when he won his three premierships in a row. Where I sat next to him at lunch, I said, "Which journalist do you admire the most of the the Melbourne, the whole, uh, all the columnists and everything?" He said, "Oh, Patrick Smith's very good." He said, "Right on the money," and just just he said, "I don't always agree with him." He said, "But always worth a read." And I thought that's high praise. But he was very clever. I remember <laughs> once Bryson DeChambeau, the American golfer who's got a million theories on life, came out and did a press conference and sprouted all these theories. And I, I forget what Smithy's lead was, but it was something like when Albert Einstein went to bed, he dreamed of being Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> <laughs> Just completely pulled him to threads. And on the putting green the next day, all the golfers were talking about it. They said, you must read these, this guy Smith from the Australian. <laughs> He, he had a lovely way about him from that point of view. And, and he had the cross-section of sports, which was terrific. I, I used to come across him as a Cub reporter. We'd spend time around the Spring Carnival together, and he's obviously a constant through footy season. But he did love his golf, and he, he could poke fun of it. So I was thinking in recent, more recent times, what he would have had a field day with the live PGA split, and he would have had a field day with the Peter Volandi's ears, one way or the other. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was his sweet spot, wasn't it? You know, like just saying what everyone else was thinking was a bit scared to write. You know, I I always remember he had an obsession about Colonial Stadium, didn't he? And he used to call it Calamity Castle. (laughs) Remember that? And and he wrote column after column on it to the point where I felt he was obsessed. And I saw him at the Melbourne Cup one day and I said, Smithy, uh, you're in good form, but mate, all these colonial, the calamity castle columns, there's, they're just, they're infatuating Melbourne. But they're, you write for the Australian, like, and he said, nah, it's a, it's something I believe has to be said, and he stuck by it. But one of his better columns, I got to say, Jared, and I, I'm sorry, I, I never got to the bottom of it, was he came out about six weeks before the Sydney Olympics and said. There is only one person who should be lighting the flame for Australia, and it's Cathy Freeman. She embodies everything we want to be as a nation. 
Um, I know she's running. I know it's a controversial choice, but she would be my selection. Now, I don't know whether he knew something. Uh, I don't know whether he simply just that was the way he felt it should be, Jared. But he got it spot on, and either way, whether it's a sign of him being a great newsman or just to just to have a feel for the occasion, he gets ten out of ten. It is one of the changes in modern media. We don't have that daily columnist anymore. So this is a phenomenon around the world. And just by happenstance, I was listening to a podcast yesterday that was speaking of this as the, the crusty sports columnist in your town or in your paper or from a national perspective was such a figure over over so many generations. And, and that, that shifted in recent times. That, that's not really there anymore. Yeah, it's a great point you make. And you know what it comes from? It comes from the fact that uh, everything is digitalised now and you know precisely how many people are reading your stories. And as good as a lot of sports columnists are, it's just another opinion. And we've worked out that news beats everything, Jared. You know, like if you get a thread of news or something, that beats the often beats the strongest opinion. Um, when digital came in, it was a shock to all of us because we realised that some stories that we thought people were interested in, they aren't. I remember, Jared, I spent my life writing stories about mystery balls in cricket because I thought the fans loved it. Then I realised it was only me and my dad who were reading them. <laughs> <laughs> and he even he admitted late in life he used to doze off at them. So <laughs> it was chastening. We had to adjust and... And I still think, though, that, um, you know, in the same way that Andrew Bolt still rates very well for the Herald Sun, um, there's still that place for the specialised sports columnist. And, um, you know, like I, you know, Mark Robinson does it so well, doesn't he? And rates very well, too, for the Herald Sun. But, but you're right, they've been diminished over the years. Yeah, I, I must admit, I would rather read one of your columns than the the latest news, just that sort of think piece, the provocative, but and, and the placement of Patrick. So it was the banner back page on the Australian every day. So that that, that is that is old guard. That's mm. old guard. What, what I loved about it was simply this: when when before the uh, Murdoch resources were combined in Melbourne, the Australian and the Herald Sun were actually opponents. And I know the Australian felt that even though the Herald Sun, who I, I sort of worked for, uh, was stocked with a lot of uh, AFL writers, like, say, seven compared to just two on the Australian, if they had Patrick Smith in good form, that's all they needed to get people to pick up the Australian. Yeah. You know, because he had this devoted band of readers who just wanted to see what Smithy was angry about today. And, uh, oh, he had his crusades, as you know, whips in, in horse racing. Yep. He, he was – and that came right from the heart. He never liked it and he crusaded against it and he wouldn't give a square centimetre in the argument. And that was, as you say, I, I, I have eternal affection for, for, for that style of columnist who just, I am what I am, I'm putting it out, me, out there. And if you don't like me, I don't particularly care. Yes, yeah, yeah. What did you know about his um, his career with Paran? So fearsome fast bowler, and and uh, he was that cliche in every way. He, he was an he was an angry cricketer. Oh yeah, I, I know. I always remember who was it. He, he stitched up someone for being unduly hot headed and provocative, yes. 
And they went back through the disciplinary records yep. of Victorian grade cricket and found where he'd been disciplined for completely going off reservation, yep. <laughs> going off tap and a thing. And I must say, it was a great comeback, you know, and I don't think, I think he sort of laughed along with it as, uh, you know, he was probably hoping it never came out. But he had hot-blooded moments, a real fast bowler with that mentality, that sort of Jeff Thompson, very much a man of the 70s in terms of, you know, uh, you know, getting a bit angry and not afraid to show it. So that was him as a fast bowler and, and, and him as a, a columnist. But like, like the best columnist, I have to say, and Ron Reed was one of these, Melbourne's own, they had worked in the industry from the bottom up almost, and they'd been sports editor, they'd sort of been copy boys and everything in between. So they had a lovely affection for the printed word. And uh, I loved him on radio too, didn't you? Mm. Um, and, and one thing that I did enjoy, when Kevin Bartler would ask him a question, sometimes there'd be silence and he'd answer it in one word and he'd go sort of, yeah, maybe, maybe. And it was just good radio, yep. wasn't it, you know? Yep, there's a lot of affection for the sparring that used to go on at uh, 9 o'clock on Mondays today. So thank you for all who have sent through those messages. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks Temper Text Temper a mattress like no other. The group stage of the World Cup crash is at its close. India unbeaten, Australia drawn to play South Africa, New Zealand the other to qualify. Uh, what are we to make of the past six weeks of cricket? Yeah, it, it, it's, well... India's just dominated everything. But I, I, I still wouldn't be shocked if New Zealand beat them in the semi-final. They've been almost perfect. And I'm, I'm looking for flaws, Jared, and I can't find many, except the fact they've only got five bowlers. And if someone has an off day, if you got into one of them, you, you might just see the castle fall. But, but they'll be tough. I, I think it's been a good tournament. Maxwell sort of given it the electric trackle that it needed, something that distinguished it from 20 and 50 over cricket, you know, uh, sorry, and test cricket, you know, something that says this brand of cricket is still very, very special. So that I think the tournament owes him a huge favour. But Australia is done really well to win seven in a row. That's no mean effort in the subcontinent. And you know, I'm just loving their matchup with South Africa and the big hoodoo that South Africa have to crack to beat them. The so just before the here and the now, what what was your view of the Maxwell innings last week? Uh, I was when I heard him speak about it later. I was staggered by the amount of calculation in it, like where he was talking about playing a reverse sweep to get that man down behind square on the offside to, to give him extra room each side of cover. And move one was followed by move two, which triggered move three. And to us, it just looked like this madhouse compilation of, of uh, instinctive hitting. But it was, it was brilliant in its own calculation and far more calculation went in it than we thought. And I also felt it, felt it was a tribute to his hands just... As he said, he just stayed still and his hands, at one stage they looked like he was playing squash or hockey or something like that. And he said he backs himself to adjust his hands to the bounce of the ball. And um, I think it'll inspire young kids, well, it has already around Australia, to try and produce some of those kooky shots. And to challenge the textbook, I mean, Joe, when you and I were growing up, it was always put your foot to the pitch of the ball, wasn't it? 
Well, he ignored that for, he, for one of the most blissful centuries we've ever seen. And so, but the one thing he did follow from the textbook during all that uh, cramped period was he kept his head still. And that's a big thing. He never sort of lost his shape. His shape might have been as stiff as a pretzel, <laughs> but he kept he, he kept still. And it's amazing when you keep still how, how your eye works quite beautifully for eye players. That's what I took out of it. And where do you want to rank it in the overall? I, I, I feel it's Australia's best one-day innings. Uh, is it the best from all nations? Uh, I'm not sure about that. My number one was Stephen Wars in a Super 6 game against South Africa in 1999 when he was told by Trevor Hones that if Australia gets eliminated today, you will lose the captaincy. Uh, we're, we're moving on. And Australia was three for 50, chasing 270. Oh, it was there. It was a overcast day, you know, at, at Headingley. It was... It was uh, Grim and, and Donald and Pollock were bowling <laughs> and we weren't going to make 120. And he put together this magnificent century and I just thought it, it was different to Maxwell's. Maxwell's was Afghanistan. This was South Africa under heavy clouds in England. And and I I just got Maxwell's past that one, you know. Yep. So, Jared, when you I find when you're comparing great innings and great achievements, you often say you put – you. Pick them apart by saying, what didn't they have? You know, we all know they're great, but, but were they missing anything? And, and the only th- thing about Maxwell's innings that I can possibly poke a hole in was, yes, it was Afghanistan, they're bowling well, but it was Afghanistan. And secondly, it wasn't an elimination game like Wars was. War would have been sacked as captain if he'd got out for a duck. Yes. He ended up winning the tournament. So that that just pushes it up a cog for mine. But uh, I, I, it, it, was, it was sublime. It was wonderful. It was. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. We're going to talk the nitty-gritty as Australia prepares for this semi-final against South Africa. Melbourne's weather becoming sunny at top of 19 for City Power. Supply power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. We are tapping the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock this Monday. We will obsess all week around the Australian makeup for a semi-final against South Africa on Thursday night. Crash, what's the number one question to be answered? It's very simple, but very complex at the same time. Labuschagne or Stoinis, that, that, that's, that's the issue. And I think that um, I, I'm slightly in favour of Labuschagne because just the theory, we say it every week, but heavy-duty tournaments are won by heavy-duty players. He's got an electric edge in the field to him, which I think would be missed if he wasn't there. And I feel that since 2019, Stoinis's batting has been uh, pretty average, really. Um, but I also get that if it's an absolutely flat deck against South Africa on Thursday night, there would be a temptation to put in Stoinis as the power hitter, but I just think the quality of their attack, I'm comfortable with Labuschagne, but I'm hearing it's the selectors are still very uncertain about it, Jared. The fact that they're not using Stoinis much with the ball is, so 19 overs for the tournament, um... Is he a true all-rounder at that stage, or do you boil this down to the to the batting? Yeah, well, he's had his injuries too. And as a batsman, he's been only average. He does have a, a habit of getting it right on the night, but where I, I still don't mind the bankable consistency of Labuschagne. You know, he's just... <laughs> it's an incredible story, Labuschagne. Like, 
I don't rate him as a great one-day player, and he always seems to be batting a gear behind where he probably should be. But when he retires, he can look back, pull out a cigar and say, you know what, I left nothing on the table. Uh, I mean, what about he wasn't going to be in this tournament and then Agar got injured and in he went and then he substituted for Smith and then it was Stoinis and then it was Mitchell Marsh and, and it was incredible and he played every game. And, and, and so it, it, you could say, oh, he's a creature of fortune and he is lucky. But he's made his own luck by even, and I've got a story just coming up this morning, Jared, talking to Jonty Rhodes. Yeah. When Jonty, his hero, was in town last year for the South African series, who do you reckon went up and said, mate, can you give me some tips about fielding at mid-off? Sharpening my returns, minimising the chance that a batsman has to get home in a run out. Now, guess what? A year down the track... You know, that could save his whole World Cup future. Yeah, and he's had his Superman moment, so he's got his, his matching image with a run out. Yeah, well, it is. And that was the image he had on his wall as a boy of Jonty Rhodes flying midair to dismiss Inzamam al Haq at the Gabba in 1992 World Cup. And it was inspiring. I mean, Jonty inspired a whole generation of players to just let go in the field, have a crack, dive, but, you know, make an art form of it. And he was one of them. Uh, and and uh, he's always, always been that way. What's your main concern with Australia going in? Just that they struggle to get early wickets. Just even against the modest teams uh, like Bangladesh and that, they seem to just, uh, there's no fright factor with the new ball. And I'm not saying that there generally is in the subcontinent, but it's a dangerous time. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> Jared, if Australia win the toss and bat and get away, I just can't see South Africa getting over this historical hoodoo of there's too much baggage there. Like, it's just, if Australia put 250 or on the board or something above that, good luck, South Africa. And I know people say, oh, that's not a big score in India. But given they've never won a 20-over World Cup or a 50-over World Cup, I'm dying for Australia to bat first and then just see the pressure cascade skating down the faces of the South African batsmen when they come in. You know, you know how sport works. It's just so hard to chase when you've got a ball and chain of 30 years of sorrowful history dragging along behind you. What what comes to mind for you in, in that litany of woe crash? Um, well, in South Africa, when um, Australia, they won, they beat South Africa very narrowly in 1999 in the Super Sixers game and then drew with him and went through an extra run rate. I, I think that what what comes to mind is just the the pain of South Africa on that day of Hansi Cronje being unable to almost talk at the press conference. The Australians whooping it up in the Headingley dressing room, just being absolutely almost hysterical and loving every bit of it. But then guess what? A couple of years later, they arrived back there um, in a uh, – or six years or uh, years later, arrived back there in a test match and had tough times. Uh, and and the wall, they realised how thin the walls of the dressing room are. Yeah. And they thought, gosh, that would have just killed South Africa to hear us celebrating the way we were. Um, so, yeah. I, and it's a pain that's never left South African cricket. Some bogeys are put to bed really quickly. But I spoke to my old mate Neil Manthorpe last week and I did a did a, um, a story on it and he said to me, oh, mate, even when, 
even when South Africa are winning seven matches in a row to start the tournament, the players were saying, we know where this is heading. Bloody Australia <laughs> and the bloody semi-final. Yes. <laughs> there was that, you know, the Grim Reaper yep. uh, circulating in the shadows, just loitering and peeping at you from beneath the hood. That's how they felt. So they've got uh, – it's such an interesting game because sport's all about mental matchups, and maybe they crack the curse. Maybe they do, but – there's this sense of foreboding about it, I have to say, Jared. Why am I laughing? No, it's, that's it. Legacy is so stitched into these things when you get to the semifinals of a tournament. So what, what would it mean for Pat Cummins and his leadership of Australia? What, what do these two games mean to him? Well, huge. And, and I have to say it, uh, you know, I came on your show, uh, you know, a month ago and said, I'm just not sure he's in Australia's best team. And you could still mount an argument that Stark and Hayes would have been a one-day bowlers. But I tell you what he does do, he gives players a sense of calm assuredness, and which is so important in World Cups. And what I like about him is he lets players be themselves and he knows what they want. Uh, example A, you know, Glenn Maxwell, he's a bit different. He's not in your same straight jacket on tour as you say, your Labuschagne. That's okay. Travis Head, he's a bit different. He's out there free-stroking sort of guy. We'll get out for nothing a few times in a row, but that's okay, Trav, be yourself. And the third one is Adam Zampa, top wicket-taker for the tournament. But he's found this sort of calmness because uh, Cummins just lets him be himself. When everyone else is playing golf, he wants to go to the Himalayas and just chill out and put these beautiful robes on and sip his coffee that he makes. Yeah. Fine, Adam, just be yourself. Great, very underrated skill of captaincy, Jared. letting players feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm. It's so interesting now that we, we reach this moment. It's, it, these tournaments are funny. They, it takes you so long to get here. And then it's all over in five days as you think about India's trajectory and the way they've totally dominated the tournament. Now that finds right down uh, Australia and South Africa with so much recent shared heritage of acrimony and controversy. And that's with the players in this group, never mind the this historical overlays. That I do think that's the World Cup is still a, a great tournament. This has been, I think, a, a terrific format, but gosh, it's turbocharged now. Oh, it, it really is. When you think of Australia only lost two matches and they're to the teams they now must beat. They lost to they lost South Africa, lost to India. Now they've got to beat them. I mean, it, it's good. And we've just seen a rugby World Cup. And, Jared, I don't want to keep piling on South Africa. I really don't. But I have to say this. The final little barb in the ribs for them is the fact they recently won the Rugby World Cup, South Africa, with a team who could win from anywhere. They won their last three matches by one point, the South African Rugby Union team. So they, they're the magicians. They can see a hat and they can pull out a rabbit, the, the South African Rugby Union team. So the cricket team are further away down by the fact that, that uh, that's what they, they're the opposite. They can lose from anywhere in these big moments. But you're right, has been a good tournament. It's a tournament the code needed, the 50-over game. You know, it's, uh, it's a difficult sell between World Cups, the 50-over game. Yep. It really is. You felt it and I felt it. Players rested. Captains not turning up for it. You know, players who you barely know representing Australia and whatever. It's a difficult sell, but this has been a good format. Ten teams, you play each other once, best four make it in. Really simple and it's worked. 
Wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. We'll talk the legacy of Meg Lanning and her retirement announcement last week with Crash in a few moments' time. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. When we were together on Thursday, we were listening to Meg Lanning step down as Australian captain and retire from international cricket. You go out there as a, a cricketer, I guess, and you just see the, the playing part, but um, they ride the emotions with you and... They've always been there to support me no matter what, and I'm very thankful for that. I'd like to thank all my the teammates that I've I played with for Australia. It's been a privilege to play with all of you, and it's been an incredible journey, and I've loved every moment of playing for Australia, and um, I'll miss it, but it's, it's time to, to go and see what else is out there and um, experience that, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that pans out. The plaudits have been suitably broad and heartfelt like Meg Lanning's words were herself. Crash, what, what's the legacy of Meg Lanning's time as captain of Australia? Well, it's just that she saw the sport grow so much and she was the, the captain of the ship when it went from girls rushing from jobs to play cricket to full-time professionalism, world domination. And, and you know, there was a time there, you know, uh, a few mates of mine who are very good judges consider her the best captain in Australia, male or female, during her tenure. You know, she 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 was outstanding. And in a funny sort of way, Jared, she kept so much inside of Meg at press conferences. She was deliberately kept her emotions on a very solid sort of flat line. It was lovely in a way to see her just take the cork off the bottle in her last, well, she didn't do it by design, but to see her get a bit emotional in the last press conference, it was almost the crossing of the line from one life to the other. Uh, retiring at 31, it's young. Um, I have to say it. Uh, there's an air, air of mystery about it because she did miss the ashes recently for unspecified reasons. Uh, maybe it was as simple, and I know Pete Lawler said this to you, that she'd fallen out of just love with the, the passion needed to do it, you know, and, and you can't manufacture it. When it's gone, you can't be half-baked about it, particularly when you're as professional as she is. So maybe the it just happens sometimes. People And there's no law that says you have to be 34, 35. She was on the go from being a, a top-ranked sort of 16-year-old. So I, I know she's her international career went for 13 years, but she's been really eyeball deep in the system for about 15, 16 years. And and that's, you know, Jared. one last thing. When you're a young captain, you're robbed of your childhood. Graham Smith said that in South Africa. He was a 22-year-old captain. And he said, look, I was privileged. I enjoyed it. But a part of me was taken away from me. I couldn't be the goofy sort of smithy, you, you know, just bumbling my way through sort of from becoming a boy to a man. I had to be a man straight away. And, and there would have been a bit of that with Meg. Yeah, as when I read that in your piece, is that that was what most resonated. Maybe, maybe this is the toll, and you did liken it to how long Alan Border was Australian captain. Maybe this is the toll of long-term captaincy, and particularly when it's cast upon a young person. Yeah, well, Border always said when he retired, he said, "I did it for ten. I swear, you, the right length is five. Uh, you know that that uh, he said. I hope the next person or anyone in the future doesn't go for longer than five. He said because it will turn you inside out, and and, and it just when he said it, I thought it, it just made a lot of sense because uh, you saw guys from Michael Clark slowly lose the plot, you know, and, and and Steve Smith at that point, you know, he got burnt out quite quickly. So 
And she did it for 10 years. And you think of the meetings and the plotting and the planning. And, and there's an extra stress too, Jared, when everyone else is older than you, when you're 22 and you're giving orders to someone who's 26. You know, that's... But uh, uh, one thing I must say, beautiful batter too to watch. Yep. Wow, we her, her cut shot was a thing of beauty because it had so many subtle layers. You put one, two, three people in there saying, well, she's not getting through there. And guess what? With this little punch, you know, she found the fence like she was a beautiful player. Beautiful player, great captain, and, um, yeah, all the plaudits are richly deserved. Robert Craddock on a Monday, his wisdom and experience. You can ping through your thoughts. 40 Winks temper text 0433 98 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. This is Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona, imagined to be bold and host plus. Now, back to Waitley. Is there a temptation on your part to change the way that you play just for this one game? Yeah, there's always the temptation, but um, apart from yeah, apart from chocolate, I'm pretty good at not giving in to temptations. A bit more of the philosophy of Ange Postacoglu. Being a manager, you're either under siege or it's coming. Spurs are now under siege. They are in the grip of injury. They've lost two in a row. One last week, obviously, we, we spoke about when they were down to nine men. And then on the weekends, they gave up two goals in injury time after leading 1-0 goals against to Wolves in the 91st and the 97th minute. So the results are one thing, Crash, but just he, he has the English press just eating out of his hand with the way that he's uh, able to express himself. Yeah, he has. It, he, like, And they like his honesty and cleverness and sort of but, – but pretty much sincerity. You know, that they yeah. – get his message. And even last week when they lost and he refused to bag the referees and said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going down there. You know, he, he won some – there were some lovely columns written about how he's become the conscience of, of the competition, which is high praise for an Aussie manager, for crying out loud. Of course, it's – they're down on troops now with their two best players sidelined till after Christmas. But it, it'll be interesting to see the tone. It can change quickly, Jared. You're never safe for long in the EPL, like it, it only takes a bad fortnight and people will turn, but hasn't it been a fun journey the, the first few months? And I love the way he said to encourage people, dream up, yeah. have your dreams, cheer on. He said, I'm not going to put the lid on any saucepan, you know, kick it up, kick, you know, enjoy. So they, they're not used to hearing that. It's, it's, it's the whole competition is shrouded in give nothing away and conservatism and managers being ultra cautious. So, even if it, even if he never achieved another win, it's still been a stunning story, hasn't it? Yes. My goodness, three months in a row, manager of the month as the as the newcomer to the scene. That the note of caution around all um, the Spurs uh, media throughout has been: if they did hit injury, the squad doesn't yet have depth, and they have hit injury. So this was sort of the sum of fears that's starting to play out before us. But no, but a remarkable starting point. Um. Uh, you're about to see Cam Smith. Uh, is it in your neck of the woods, Crash? He is. He arrived from uh, the, today, I think, for the for the to play the Queensland PGA in a couple of weeks. And <clears throat> he said over the weekend, in a couple of podcasts, how much he's enjoying travelling the world with Liv. Of course, the hundred and forty million dollars makes it pleasurable under any circumstances. But he did make one point that interests me, Jared, and that was that he said, 
a lot of the American guys just love playing the PGA Tour in America, and that's great if it's your home. He said, but I sort of wanted to see the world as well. Aussies are natural uh, travellers. And uh, I've heard golfers sort of hint that before, that they feel in America, Americans just cannot understand why a golfer wants to play anywhere else. Yeah. Like when Cam said, I want to get home a bit, they said, really? You don't want to play here? Well, he actually does want to get home a bit. He always starts with a pie when he gets home, loves a home-cooked pie. He goes down to his one team, of course, and he does this little thing where there's a guy who lives beyond the 10th fairway there who always used to have sandwiches (laughs) for kids and people as they're passing by. And he heard he wasn't well. So just very quietly last year, he went and said, mate, how are you travelling? You all right? Like the superstar knocked on his door. It was quite a sweet story. How big a draw card will he be in these weeks? Oh, huge, huge. To the point where they don't really need anyone else. Yeah. Like, you know, Adam Scott's coming too, and he's a draw card as well. And that divides the crowd on course, which is wonderful. But Smith is very much the Pied Piper. No, no question about that. And it's just the... You know, it's not just the fact that, you know, he's won the British Open. It's people relating to the fact that he's still, like his dad, Des, still drives trucks and, you know, he, he, he he's very much a working class boy, loves the Broncos, loves a pie, steak. That sort of gravitates around the younger audience who previously might have thought golf was a bit snooty. Yeah. And... <laughs> There's one other thing he does. When he refers to Phil Mickelson occasionally, he just nonchalantly refers to him as old filthy. Like, so old <laughs> filthy played pretty well today. Like, and, he, and he mentions it like you saying Mark Robinson is Robbo. He said, yeah, old filthy had a good game today. Like, I thought, you know, one of the iconic figures in golfing history has become old filthy. I love it. What do you think – so I was having to think back over the year that we've had and just starting to nut out an order for when we um, review it all. And, and that – week where Liv and the PGA merged, and yet we still have no clue uh, what the net effect of that is going to be, do we? Is the, the Adelaide tournament is going ahead next year. It's it's on sale, marked out on the calendar. It's very hard to sort of understand. Um, I, I know it's been tied up in court action and the like, but nothing's come of it. No, no. And, and to the point where I know journalists – who are ringing up senior professionals in America asking for what they know, and even before they've asked it, the, the professional says, what are you hearing? Like, they're so badly informed. I mean, the deal was struck as in we can't beat – you can't beat them, you've got to join them, so they're amalgamating. But there's no detail whatsoever. And as you said, Liv have got an academy up and running. So that says to me they're planning five, ten years ahead. It is very, very mysterious. It, it really is. The only thing I do know is that the Live boys all say they were so glad they made the plunge because, A, they're no, soon enough they won't be banned and they're no longer out, um, outlaws and outcasts, you know. Um, sure, they're not in the world rankings and, and, and that, that has taken its toll, but you've got to give up something. I mean, for goodness sakes, if you're being paid $100 million to join somewhere... You know, like you can't go whinging, oh, gosh, I'm not in the world rankings. Well, sorry, sunshine, but there has to be sacrifices. Crash, great to chat on a Monday in in what is such an important week ahead of us. So, uh, yes, enjoy it. Um, Well, by the time we talk next Monday, the final will have been played. Who will have played? Who's in the final in your book? Um, Australia and New Zealand, (laughs) to be a bit controversial. 
and Australia to win in a last ball thriller, um, or last over thriller with a with maybe a Maxwell six. There you go, Jared. Hey, as Ange Postecoglou said, you're allowed to dream. <laughs> Good stuff, Robert Craddock on a Monday. Uh, brilliant, brilliant. In the NFL, that's been happening this morning. The Cowboys have thrashed the Giants 49-17. to Catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN. Visit nfldazone.com forward slash NFL. We'll tidy up and set you up with Midday Madness next.